Kia ora. Welcome to episode 75 of the SWZ podcast, the podcast for New Zealand Star Wars fans. My name is Matt. And my name is Christy. Another interesting week for news from a galaxy far, far away, so let's jump in and talk Star Wars. First on our news roundup, I want to talk about Taika Waititi and his Star Wars film. Not a lot of new detail, but in some interesting quotes that came through an interview on gamesradar.com. He says, Taika says, look, I think for the Star Wars universe to expand, it has to expand. I don't think that I'm any use in the Star Wars universe making a film where everyone's like, oh great, well, that's the blueprints to the Millennium Falcon, that's Chewbacca's grandmother, that all stands alone, that's great. I'd like to take something new and create some new characters and just expand the world. Otherwise, it feels like it's a very small story. So what he's saying here, of course, is that in his upcoming Star Wars film, which is the next theatrical release for the Star Wars franchise, he will be working essentially with new Star Wars characters, not continuation of existing known characters or story arcs. I think this gives someone who is very creative a freedom to sort of take their style, their spin, give them a little bit of creative freedom with it, which I think is what people want. Well, it'll be interesting to see where he goes with it. We've got a lot of existing material and we're progressively filling in more and more gaps between the different stories. It will be interesting to see someone presumably successfully, you know, take a new angle on the Star Wars story and the Star Wars universe. He's obviously used to playing within a certain constrained sandbox like with Thor, Mm -hmm. but the Thor movies feel different to the other Marvel movies. And so I think that's a good sort of expectation for his film. It will feel like Star Wars, play in the Star Wars sandbox, but will have a distinctive Taika Waititi style to it. You know, that's a really interesting point, of course. When someone talks about... Star Wars has worked a lot because there's a lot of references back to existing material. If someone's going to start something completely new, then there's always a fear that it will just feel separated and not really Star Wars, just something with a Star Wars logo on it. But what you you mentioned there about his work on, on Thor, the Thor movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course... They do feel very connected, even though he's putting his own spin, his own take and approach to filmmaking on them. Especially since his Thor movies are essentially part of a chain. There were two standalone sort of uh, Thor movies before his. His are essentially sort of three and four in the Thor series. Yep. But they don't, they're not too jarring, but they feel distinctly him. So yeah, I actually find that they're quite watchable as standalone units as yes. well. That's a whole other story. We're not going to go into that franchise too deeply, but uh, I think it does speak to where he may well be going with the Star Wars universe and it's relevant on that basis. I think because in the past, Lucasfilm and Disney have had some trouble with directors not really working to their vision or perhaps their perceived ideas about what they want for a film. But Taika's had success within the larger Disney banner. Of course, he worked with them on the animated film Moana. They know his work. So he's got creative freedom because they know he's not going to be too out there. He's going to give them something that they already know works and makes them money. So I think it's a sure bet and I'm really looking forward to finding out more. Okay, at the time of recording, that is in fact the main bit of sort of news related to upcoming Star Wars productions that we that we really want to dive into. It's a little bit quiet on that front, to be honest. We're not expecting a heck of a lot more in terms of news, breaking news, until closer to the D23 Expo and Disney Plus Day, which are in early September. I also think... Disney and Lucasfilm want to keep the news and noise focused on Obi-Wan. Yeah, it's currently sure. airing. I don't think they want people going, oh, but what about this over here? They want to keep them focused because we're starting to get the merchandise coming out. They sort of really want to sort of hype this one up and then take a breath before we start really sort of releasing information about whatever's next. Yep, yep very true. So we're coming up on the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi, unfortunately. Uh, we're hoping, we believe, there's rumours that it may be quite a long episode, we'll find out very shortly, and then it'll be a matter of weeks before and or screens on Disney Plus on August the 31st. Okay, separate from those production news, in the last podcast we talked a lot about the Armageddon Expo that took place in Auckland on the weekend of June the 10th to the 12th. We've covered that uh, in detail in a previous podcast, but Just up on the SWZ YouTube channel, we have put a video that collects together footage of all the Star Wars costumes we came across. We enjoyed doing this because it's a great way to really sort of show how much Star Wars material and how well the Star Wars fandom is represented at the Armageddon Expos. 
So we'll put a link to that down below, but check that out on the SWZ YouTube channel, a compilation of all the Star Wars costumes that showed up at Auckland Armageddon Expo. Also on the SWZ YouTube channel, I forgot to mention this earlier, but we did put up some coverage about the exciting vintage Toll Toys Star Wars action figure auctions that took place on Trade Me back in February. We wanted to capture the story behind these. This was a set of action figures that were all mint on card, or at least still attached on card, that sold for a total of over 50000 between the set of them, and quite a bit of an interesting story there. Again, that is on the SWZ YouTube channel if you want to dive into that story. If we jump on to product announcements and store reports, we've got a few interesting bits and pieces to talk about. In the Black Series from Hasbro, action figures in a 6-inch scale. Some more Obi-Wan Kenobi action figures have been revealed. The Phase 2 Purge Trooper. Uh, the Bounty Hunter 1 Jack. That's the Bounty Hunter that looks a lot like Forlom. And Tala in her Imperial Officer's uniform. We haven't seen these up for pre-order locally yet, but we hope with a bit of luck to see them up in the not-too-distant future. Pop vinyl figures from Funko, quite a few revealed. A lot of these are from Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. Colin Roken and Darth Vader are both available from a number of Funko retailers locally. We can expect to see a Purge Trooper Phase 2 again, of course, um, although that hasn't shown up locally. And separately from other series, we can expect to see Cassantin and Andor, which was uh, technically a Comic-Con exclusive, but of course we'll very much, very likely get that shown up locally in New Zealand as well. And the Obi-Wan Wednesday reveals last week, they finally got around to revealing the Vintage Collection Darth Vader action figure that has been available on New Zealand shelves at farmers department stores for a little while now. <laughs> Interesting to see that officially, officially revealed because at the time that it showed up in New Zealand, it hadn't actually been officially announced. And so there's quite a bit of excitement associated with New Zealand being the first country to get that in hand and let alone find out about it. Now some of those waiver figures are still available at Farmers. You could get Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Reva the Third Sister, Darth Vader from Obi-Wan Kenobi, as well as Padawan Anakin Skywalker from Attack of the Clones, which we all now know as well as being relevant to Attack of the Clones. It's actually relevant to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series itself. And finally in that wave there is a Mandalorian Super Commando. Yeah, the figures from the Obi-Wan Kenobi series were certainly popular. They sort of flew off the shelves. In our hunting around, we have still found a couple of Reva and Obi-Wan figures. Even the, in the last few days. Yeah. The Vader figure tends to be the more popular one because Vader is one of those ones where he's been done several times. People really want a definitive one. And by all accounts, this looks like one of the best Darth Vader action figures Hasbro's ever made. So it's definitely in, in hot demand. But if you're looking to sort of add some of the newer characters to your lineup, Obi-Wan and Reva still are sort of hiding out at a few different farmers. So if you're on the hunt, do check out as many farmers in your area as you can, because you might just be able to find one. I spotted a couple yesterday while checking out a few places places in Auckland so they are still there yeah I hope we do get restocks because we could do with a little bit more distribution of those around the country by the sound of things they've shown up in a few regions and there's a couple per case and many branches get more than one case but they still move pretty quickly not quite enough to satisfy the number of collectors I think for those well, we haven't seen this show up from the usual online retailers. This was only no, available at Farmers. True. So we're hoping the likes of Mighty Ape, maybe Toyco, EB Games, maybe even the Warehouse will eventually stock this wave. Not really sure why Farmers got it so early, but here's hoping, fingers crossed, that it will show up at other outlets for those of us who couldn't get a hold of it or just simply missed out because they sold quickly. All right, also from the Obi-Wan Kenobi Wednesday's product reveals in the Mission Fleet. So this is the smaller scale figures that are slightly slightly animated style, slightly cartoon style. There is a T-47 airspeeder with Sully Stark from Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is quite a neat addition. You know, I think these are underappreciated vehicles and playsets. They are aimed at a younger audience, of course, because they are stylized. But they come with a lot of accessories and a lot of playability. And they're kind of fun. And they still display quite quite well. They're not uber accurate because they are stylized, but I do think these are underappreciated. This line kind of reminds me of the old Galactic Heroes line, where it looked like it was aimed for kids, but the line stuck around. It obviously did well enough, and Hasbro did enough characters and vehicles in it, so it made quite a really neat collection when you put a lot together. It 
made quite a neat display on your shelf. I'm really excited to see that Mission Fleet has stuck around. It hasn't burnt out quite as fast as some of the other sort of child-targeted lines. Well, so they've yeah. got a reasonable number of starships and characters. So when you put them all together, it looks really neat. I think after a few missteps in terms of trying to target this younger audience, they finally hit the right notes. And uh, it even has an appeal to to the older collector um, because there's such an interesting range of, of vehicles and and displayability of them. And at a good price point too. A few podcasts back we mentioned that a New Zealand version of the online shop Disney website would be opening up. That is in fact live now, has been for just a few days. We took a look at the range of currently available Star Wars product on the website. Now they advertise that this is just the launch collection. Mm -hmm. They will continue to add new product in the coming weeks and months. So we took a look at it. They've got apparel, toys, uh, stuff for kids, stuff home, for collectors, homeware. homeware. So there, it's, it's a small collection, to be sure, to start with. But I think it's really neat. Now, the prices are a little higher than what you'll probably find locally, like the warehouse or Kmart. But the, but the important thing to remember here is that this is product that you're not going to get elsewhere, generally speaking. Shop Disney carries a lot of product that is available in the physical parks. Uh, and that is exclusive to Shop Disney one way or another. They know that there is a collectability nature to Disney products, Star Wars products. So the items that Shop Disney tends to carry are limited edition, park exclusive, things like that. Things that you're not going to find anywhere else. So they come with a little bit of a markup. For example, the range of adult Star Wars apparel is from a limited edition collection celebrating the 45th anniversary of A New Hope. So each of these has sort of a special little commemorative plaque sewn on the bottom hem. Some of the t-shirts even have a neat UV reactive print. So the print changes color when you wear it outside so of course these are a little bit higher priced than t-shirts you'll find at JJ's or the warehouse but they are more unique more collectible and the same can be said for some of the park product as well now generally we can't get Disney park product very easily in New Zealand generally we can order from the shop Disney US website but the shipping is quite expensive and you get charged exchange rate fees and things like that shop disney's in new zealand dollars and at the moment shipping is free if you spend over 150 new zealand dollars which to be honest isn't that hard to do there is some really neat stuff there especially if you're looking for apparel or if you're looking for the popular line of star wars toy box figures these are collectible figures somewhat inspired by the disney infinity game they made a range of figures to go with the the, the video game game and then when the video game was kind of discontinued people complained and they really liked the style of toys so they kind of continued the line as just toys so there's a whole range of characters in there quite affordably priced they're sort of run about between 20 and 30 dollars for a single character about 50 dollars for two packs and things like that so those are items that if you're a collector and are seeking those out you'll find them now available locally rather than having to import them from the u.s website the shipping is from the singapore so asia pacific warehouse it's via dhl express so it gets to you in a less than a week seems to be pretty quick yep and under normal circumstances that shipping would be 45 now yes that is expensive but that is couriered internationally in less than a week and a lot Safe, lot cheaper safely and promptly compared to some other options yeah. it's also a lot cheaper than what the shop disney u.s website will charge you to ship to new zealand because they use the same sort of express courier shipping which will get to you very quickly but you will pay for it they don't offer standard just airmail two to three week freight so so keep that all in mind if you go browsing shopdisney.co.nz don't expect to be finding products that are competitive with the warehouse or farmers of course but that's not what they're going for they're going for exclusive products collectible products and the range will hopefully expand to have some really interesting things because if we take a look at some of the re releases that have come from the disney parks or shop disney in the u.s they make some really high quality display pieces and replica props and so forth and there's some really going to be some really worthwhile stuff down the line one of the particular things of note here is that the shop disney new zealand website has available a new Star Wars Disney ears, the Mickey ear headband that you can buy in the parks and from the American website. So that's available locally. It's styled off Wicket the Ewok. And that's really neat to see because usually park products is not available in New Zealand unless you pay a lot of money. 
And they also have the new sort of attraction collection, which includes park-exclusive Mickey Mouse plush, a matching lounge fly bag, a matching ears, and a matching pin. Now, generally, in the U.S., you have to get that stuff from the parks or Shop Disney, and it sells out very quickly. So it's fun to see that stuff. Now, what I'm hoping that might indicate was that we might be able to get some of the more appealing Star Wars product that's sold in the parks, like perhaps some of the lightsabers. There are Disney Park-specific lightsabers. And of course, the hot item that came out recently was a replica Camtono container, as seen in The Mandalorian. That retailed in the park for $50. Now, if you couldn't get to the parks, they did sell them on Shop Disney for a very brief window of time, of course, and now they go for about three or four times the price on eBay from resellers. But I'm hoping that product like that will eventually be stocked on Shop Disney New Zealand and of course coming from the Asia Pacific warehouse in Singapore means that Americans won't really be fighting for That's the right. same product. It'll be a different allotment so it'll be put aside for a specific market and won't be quite as competitive potentially to get our hands on some of that really interesting stuff. So yeah we do have a video on the SDMJ YouTube channel where we take a look at the current offerings at shopdisney.co.nz with associated commentary. Check that out. Alright, the Hasbro HasLab Reavers lightsaber. We've talked about this on an ongoing basis. We just want to update people who are interested in this. It is available locally for pre-order through EB Games. Uh, but of course, if this product does not hit the target of 5,000 pre-orders, it will not go ahead. And that will be the second failure of a Star Wars HasLab release, unfortunately. At this point, with 20 days to go, so past the halfway point, they are at 1,095 out of 5,000 pre-orders. That generally does not include uh, orders that are coming through secondary retailers like EB Games, but unfortunately that does not look like it's progressing at a particularly useful rate. It does not look like it is going to hit the 5,000 within the remaining 20 days to go. So we're not holding out strong hopes for this HasLab project to go through. We will continue to keep an eye on it and update you as we go along. But unfortunately, if this doesn't go through, that was another blow for the HasLab Star Wars line and I'm not really sure what implications that will have for future projects. It will be really interesting to see if there is a jump in pre-orders for this product after the final episode has aired. I did think it was a bit of a weird timing for Hasbro to release this pre-order before the series had properly aired. Considering it's a new character, if it was like, oh, here's some new Darth Vader lightsaber, well, people know that they like Darth Vader, they like the character. It's a lot to ask people. I mean, even Americans will balk at the price of this, 500 US dollars. That's that's quite a lot to sink into, a character that you're not sure if you really like the character, you know, without sort of diving into controversy we saw this a little bit with sideshow collectibles jumping in and making a cara dune premium format that has a price tag locally of about twelve hundred dollars and i'm not sure that there's as many people that would be willing to spend twelve hundred dollars on a cara dune premium format than there would be on a darth vader one i feel like sometimes these companies are so uh, eager to cash in on a new character new merchandise that they don't sort of wait and see where the dust settles and where the fans really love this character enough to spend that money action figures and black series is fine but the high ticket items i think it's best to wait i think that this would have done perhaps the the reception to it would have been better if they had waited till the final episode had aired yeah well that might be the only thing that saves it if it is featured um, interestingly in the finale of everyone can over but even that might not be enough to carry it over the finish line Okay, other products coming up or in stores around New Zealand from NZ Mint. The latest faces of the Empire Silver Legal Tender Coin is a Phase 2 clone trooper priced at about $161. That is available for order now from the NZ Mint website if you're collecting that line of collectible Legal Tender coins. Something interesting that has shown up at Kmart, we did mention this a few podcasts back now. We wondered if, pod, if Kmart might be the retailer locally that carries these, but there's a wave of a line of what they're calling basic six-inch figures that are about five points of articulation with minimal accessories, but they're priced at only $10 each. Kmart previously had a six-pack of figures from all across the Saga movies, and we were wondering if this recently announced line might be carried as an extension of that original boxed set and in fact we have just seen that it has shown up at Kmart. They're available online but only as an assortment so you don't get to choose which character you get 
but these are available in stores online. They're advertising that Darth Vader, a First Order Stormtrooper, Return of the Jedi Luke, Han Solo, Mando in his Beskar armor, C-3PO and Bo-Katan and Grogu are all available. We've spotted a subset of those in physical stores, Bo-Katan, Beskar, Mando and Grogu. These are aimed again at kids at the much lower price point of $10 each. And I think that's a really good thing in many ways. They're not quite as detailed or and certainly not as well articulated as current Black Series action figures, but they're a tiny fraction of the price. So you can uh, give them to kids to actually play with or put on their bookshelves without fear of them losing accessories or damaging them and so forth. No, really good option. I'm definitely keen to, to check these ones out, see how they stand up to other action figures, other toys. And obviously they're designed for kids in mind, so the playability is going to be a little bit more reduced rather than all the articulation and tiny little accessories that we're seeing from modern action figures. But I'm definitely keen to take a look at one in person. Yeah, in terms of upcoming Star Wars Lego, the LegoCon 2022 took place recently and two new Star Wars sets were revealed. An ATTE Walker will be coming out on August the 1st. This is set number 75337, priced at $250, 1,082 pieces. It comes with five Lego minifigures and three Lego droid figures. Commander Cody, 212th Clone Gunner. Three 212th clone troopers and three battle droids, all with weapons, plus a buildable dwarf spider droid. Cad Bane's ship, the Justifier, will be out also on August the 1st, priced at $280, set number 75323, 1,022 pieces, four Lego figures, and a droid Cad Bane with two blaster pistols, Omega with handcuffs, Phoenix Shand with a blaster pistol, and Hunter with a knife, plus a Toto 360 Lego droid figure. Some interesting characters amongst the minifigures and some army building clones as well. So I think those things will uh, make these sets quite popular. It's good to see Omega finally being rendered in minifig form. Mm -hmm. The rest of the Bad Batch is available with the Marauder Shuttle. I thought it was interesting that they included the Gonk droid and not Omega in that set. Obviously, they kind of split them up because they want to sell more sets. So if you want to put together the full Bad Batch lineup, you need... Cad Bane and his ship and the Bad Batch with the Marauder Shuttle. But I think that that's kind of fun. That was certainly a, a neat storyline in that series. I think that that was fun and fun to see them render his ship in Lego. At the warehouse, a new line of Star Wars plush toys has shown up. Mattel's Cutopia toys are 10-inch stuffed characters. And in the Star Wars line, we've got Wicket, Boba Fett, R2-D2 and Grogu priced at $25 each. If you're a fan of the popular plush range Squishmallow, these are similar to that sort of style of plush. They're stylized, they're kind of a round ball slash egg shape, very cute, very cuddly, but they've got some really great printed details, some embroidered details, some of them have sort of ears and bits and pieces. The details on these I think are really fun. I know that the licensed Squishmallow toys do include Disney and some Star Wars characters. Sadly, I have never seen the officially licensed Star Wars Squishmallow in New Zealand so these are a fun option if you have kids or yourself that would love to get a hold of these cute and cuddly plush without having to go and buy one of the ones online or from overseas because the Star Wars ones never made it to New Zealand. So these will probably be fairly well distributed amongst the warehouse department stores they're not on the warehouse website just yet but we do have some photos up on the SWZ website so check out our coverage of that on swz.co.nz. Alrighty, let's talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 5, which screened last Wednesday. Second to last episode, and the finale will be screening this week. This episode opens with a flashback 13 years prior to the current timeline, to the main timeline. Obi-Wan Kenobi is training with Anakin Skywalker, so this is set around the era of Attack of the Clones, in lightsaber combat on Coruscant, where he criticizes Anakin for his aggressive actions. A lot of the conversation that comes from this and subsequent flashbacks kind of ties into Anakin's behavior and Obi-Wan Kenobi's understanding of Anakin's behavior in the main timeline. So flash forward to the present where Darth Vader is tracking Kenobi's location to Jabim. And there's also a scene where Darth Vader promotes Reva to the Grand Inquisitor. The Empire, the Imperial troops arrive on Jabim to besiege the facility. They deactivate the escape doors remote by remote controlling Alola. 
unbeknownst to Obi-Wan Kenobi and the refugees on the planet. To stall for time because Kenobi knows that Darth Vader is going to be coming down imminent and he needs to, imminently and he needs to buy time for them to get aboard the ship and escape through the locked doors. Kenobi negotiates with Reva and deduces that she knows Darth Vader's true identity because she witnessed his massacre at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant as a youngling. This is a big, big development point for Reva. She reveals she wanted to gain Vader's favor in order to kill him for revenge rather than serve him. The facility is breached. Reva and the troopers make their way through the main door with Tala sacrificing herself to save Kenobi and the other refugees. Realizing they cannot win, Kenobi surrenders and is taken to Reva, where he convinces Reva to kill Darth Vader when she delivers Kenobi to him. Meanwhile, Leia has entered the vents and accessed the control circuits to allow the doors of the hangar to be opened. Now, we're very pleased at this point that uh, Lola is able to be reverted back to her friendly state. It was, in fact, just a restraining bolt so she was being remote controlled rather than being fully reprogrammed or anything more sinister like that. So the path refugees are allowed to escape before Vader besieges the facility. Reva uses this opportunity to attempt to kill Darth Vader but is overpowered in a very exciting duel and she is stabbed and left for dead at which time the Grand Inquisitor arrives to reaffirm his status. As the path Refugees escape. Reva finds Bail Organa's message on Kenobi's transmitter, revealing that Luke's location is on Tatooine. So a very big, exciting episode. It takes place along quite tight timelines, all within the same location, essentially, either on the planet Jabim or in orbit around it. And yeah, a lot goes on. A lot of action, a lot of fighting, a lot of character development and plot development. Just to sum up quickly, this was my favorite episode of the series so far. There's been a lot of sort of nostalgia, but this one really hits in with going straight into that sort of prequel era, Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan versus Anakin. Obviously, at this point, they're aspiring, they're training, it's not, but seeing those two blue lightsabers clash takes me right back to episode three when they were sort of fighting, desperately trying to sort of kill each other or not kill each other on Mustafar. And it's just, oh, it really sort of... And it was fun to see that, yes... Yes, you could just tell that these were the older versions. They didn't sort of CGDH them. But in some way, I think that that was better to show that, that time had passed and we are coming back and revisiting these characters. I thought that that was really neat. And plus, they both don't look that much different, you know. People with keen eye can often go back and see a film and see which scenes were shot during the majority of filming and ones that were done during reshoots just months later. So I think, it, you know, when you come down to it, any footage shot at a slightly different time is going to look slightly different. So I thought that was really neat. I thought it was fun seeing a location in the Jedi Temple that we haven't seen before, mm -hmm. looking out over Coruscant with sort of the, the glossy marble floor. It just, it felt fun, like seeing an element of the prequel era that we hadn't seen before, sort of adding dynamic. And obviously, the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Anakin is so complicated and so emotional that it really felt so appropriate. I mean, honestly, seeing a flashback scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan during their Jedi Master and Padawan days was one of my number one hopes for the yeah, series. Well, look, so that's why I, I was so excited to see that they, they teased a little bit with that sort of mirage slash vision with from Obi-Wan earlier but I was so glad that that wasn't just a tease that they really did follow through and give fans this kind of flashback getting, but it's not all just sort of ugh yeah yeah getting this expansion on prequel material in live action sequences like this was a real was a real treat and in fact we not only saw an attack of the clones era Hayden Christensen we saw um, Revenge of the Sith uh, when he was besieging the Jedi Temple later on seeing both of those sort of eras expanded upon was really really cool and really uh, really tied this series back to the prequel material and to the, the whole story arc between Obi-Wan and Anakin in general yeah, because at the start of the first episode, we see the clone troopers in the temple. We don't really see too much of Anakin. In this episode, we really do literally see Anakin sort of cutting down younglings and attacking the younglings. So we see him done up in both episode two and episode three version of Anakin and obviously Darth Vader. We've got him as unmasked Darth Vader in the sort of the back to tank scenes and things like that. It's, it's 
I mean, I know that they've been teasing that he's back as Darth Vader, but I think for fans it was more important than he was. Because just about, you know, we know that in Rogue One it was a, a different performer in the suit. You know, I think fans don't really mind who's in the Darth Vader suit. They just want him to have the right proportions to fully embody Vader. I think it's really fun having Hayden back in the Vader suit. But for me, it's more, I, I think it's more noteworthy that he is back as Anakin. Because that is the the major role that he was cast in Star Wars for. Yeah, so we see we see a lot of different things happening in this episode, and they all they all fit together quite quite nicely on the whole. But it gives us an opportunity to really unpack some backstory, some history. Uh, there was some really interesting dialogue between Obi Wan Kenobi and Reva, yeah. and that involved um, other flashbacks that ultimately ultimately tie back into Reva being stabbed twice by Darth Vader. Uh, once with a blue lightsaber and later with a red lightsaber. We saw some really interesting development and unfortunately the, the demise of Tala. She sacrificed herself trying to trying to redeem for past actions when she was an Imperial that she never felt comfortable with, that she never actively participated in, but she still felt some. She still carried the burden of guilt consequence of. Yeah. In previous episodes, we know that she is, she actually was joined up to the Empire. She's not just running around with a stolen uniform. She is an Imperial officer with the Empire and obviously didn't like what the Empire has either become or what she didn't really realize what the Empire was when she signed up and has been helping the path, the sort of underground sort of rescue operation. But in this episode, she actually goes on to talk a little bit more about what really changed her mind about the Empire, tracking down four families that included four sensitives and spoke about basically killing i think she says 14 people six of which were children and she was like we didn't know what they were going to do you know she's obviously like trying to sort of justify i thought they were just going to like arrest them they lied to us they didn't tell us they were just going to execute these people and that was obviously a big tipping point for her character and i felt like perhaps at that point they were leading us up to perhaps get ready for her demise knowing that she had basically been party to executing people and that does kind of unfortunately put her on the bad side but she's been trying to atone for it so i felt like she might make a grand gesture you know self-sacrifice to sort of fully atone for if she can help you know, she talks about the number of, she's got marks on her, inside her holster, that, the, counting the number of people she can rescue by uh, sort of smuggling them along the path to safety, that I feel like she's trying to sort of at least undo or atone for in some way. If she can rescue more than 14 people from the Empire's grasp, then she has somehow made up for what she was party to. And I was sad to see her go. She's a she's a new character. We only got her for a few episodes, but it was genuinely really sad when she died. I think a lot of people liked her character, even though she only got a minimal backstory. It resonated pretty strongly and pretty immediately. And the other thing, of course, is um, she wasn't the only one sacrificed need be. Had a bit of a K2SO moment yeah, where he, so. he sort of used his body and skills we'd, for the we'd... blaster to try and buy her as much time and, of course, the other the other underground... To uh, escape through to, the blast doors. Yeah. yeah, so he takes a lot of blaster fire damage and it appears that he is deactivated, powered down, that he's essentially killed before she sacrifices herself as well. He kind of tips over, but obviously he's used his middle body to shield her for as long as possible. So she is wounded. She knows that she's not going to make this out of her life. So she has a thermal detonator with her and decides to try and take out as many of the Empire and Stormtroopers as she can and buy some time. Push them back so the blast doors can be closed and the others can escape. And yeah, there's obviously a lot more story going on between Tala and Nedby, and hopefully we'll get that somewhere along the lines. Uh, they obviously have an understanding between each other. We see that when Tala and uh, Obi-Wan have just rescued Leia and they get back to the base that um, Tala goes straight to Nedby. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, it's like she's talking to him, yeah. but he doesn't obviously talk. But there is obviously a level of communication between the two. Well, it also makes me think more about her comment in a previous episode where she says that actions speak louder, louder than words or, or more. And uh, well, that kind of implies she's that She's speaking she's, about the droid, but I think she's yeah. speaking about herself as well. well. Yeah, without a doubt. But I think she... Uh, I also inferred that she has seen him 
perform actions that mean he has a val- lot more smarter than understanding. Yeah, yeah, that he's not just sort of a a mindless machine. That yeah. he he is capable of understanding and and intelligence. That, and making moral decisions. Yeah. Yeah. The other big deal, well, two other big deals, I think, that really stood out in this episode. First up was when Vader breached the hangar just as the starship was, or just as the shuttle was launching. He grabs it with the force and very successfully brings it brings it back down. It's a very powerful move. Tears it apart just with, you know, force force powers uh, quite brutally and quite efficiently. Yeah. There, there were, this was reminiscent of a few other elements from other Star Wars media. Obviously, pulling the starship out of the sky. There's a moment where Yoda uses the Force to a similar effect in the original Clone Wars micro series, where he sort of crashes ships in the sky against each other. And of course, it has strong references to Starkiller and the Force Unleashed, sort of pulling a starship out of the sky. Um, and then when he sort of puts it on the ground. I well, thought it also, he'd like it also more... speaks to Ray's um, actions in The Rise yes. of Skywalker. Yeah, when her and Kylo are kind of using the Force to kind of wrestle with the First Order sort of shuttle in the yeah, sky. And also, when he starts tearing into it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of... He uses the Force on Bespin to throw things around when he's fighting Luke, but it kind of reminded me of when Yoda and Count Dooku are throwing things around in the hangar in Episode 2 just before their fight. They're sort of like moving things. But Vader does this with such ferocity. It's fast and it's just tearing metal out. He's not, take, yeah. he's not taking objects and just like flinging them in that direction. It's it's so intense and with such level of power. I, I think that the, the showrunners are really having fun with showing Vader at what should be and what they're showing him to be at the height of his power. He's recovered from his injuries, for the most part, about as much as he could be, and sort of is still young and still sort of filled with rage. He hasn't kind well, of... I think rage is a significant word there. He's not it's not contemplative evil. He is just straight up furious and acting on that. Yeah, he's just... The, the power that he is able to wield, both against the starship and soon after in his fight with Reva... And and earlier in the episodes, when he's fighting against Obi-Wan, he's almost toying with people. He knows he's got the upper hand, but he's taking a a, a Sithly delight in tormenting people, in, in like killing the bystanders just because he knows what that's going to do to, to the minds of Jedi and other people around him. He's striking fear and terror and just really toying with people. And it's really quite such a juxtaposition to see this happening in the same episode where we see suddenly going back and seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan together, you know, and how the Jedi and the galaxy had so much hope for this you know sort of young boy from Tatooine that he was going to be the savior of the Jedi the chosen one and then we switch and see just how evil like we know like Obi-Wan says you know twisted and evil and now we're really seeing how twisted and evil Vader is in this time point that that's what Obi-Wan is remembering in his mind when he is talking to Luke about it the other very powerful thing about this episode in its entirety is not only do we see that transformation but we also see the the telltale signs that showed that Anakin was impatient, he was pushing for victory at all costs, even during training, uh, even during his lightsaber training. And, you know, that manifested during his sort of light side phase, but it's also manifesting during his dark side phase. And it's, it's kind of interesting the way they've played that and revealed that to tie it all together. Well, I think... It- the elements in those lightsaber fighting where Obi-Wan's kind of giving him instruction, I think if you've sat down and watched all of the Clone Wars, you kind of know the dynamic between Anakin and Obi-Wan. You know that Anakin was always brash and not really listening to everything Obi-Wan was saying, but that's a lot to expect an audience yeah. for the show to have kind of watched through all of those yeah, episodes, that, yeah. know the dynamic, because we see we see Attack of the Clones and we know that that. Anakin is brash because he's like, you know, we'll take him together. No, I'm taking him now. Like he charges in and does stuff. But there's a there's a subtlety in there as well, like needing to win and stuff like that. That is perhaps more best seen when you sort of watch through the Clone Wars. And I think, yes, the Clone Wars do give us these insights, but I think deep down, a lot of people want to see that in live action form. Live action is where Star Wars is always kind of home and seeing these two get to perform those elements. We know that Hayden Christensen went back and watched 
certain uh, aspects of the Clone Wars to kind of get a feel for what they had done with the Anakin character since his performance in Episode 2 and Episode 3. So you can really sort of get a feel for the way it all lines up. But I think that that was really good to give us those moments just as sort of satisfaction telling the story. And I like the way that after those scenes, it kind of jumped back to either Vader or or Obi-Wan. These aren't exactly sort of shared visions, but you can see that both of them are kind of reflecting on their time together, their past, the elements. And I think that it ties in, I think we're going to see it tie in to that phrase in A New Hope, where Darth Vader says, when I left you, I was but the learner, now I am the master. I think we're getting these little bits of flashbacks in that to kind of really hone in on the fact that the training wasn't really ever finished and you know like because of the clone wars and things like that and the dynamic between them that obi-wan still felt like he had more to teach anakin and that you know he hadn't really sort of finished his jedi training he wasn't he wasn't sort of the purest jedi he probably would have you know failed some of those exams when it came to patience well he might not have fallen to the dark side if his training was in fact complete yeah yeah if he had followed you know, more strictly to the Jedi Code and, you know, not fallen in love and <laughs> done done some Tuscan massacres and things like that. But yeah, um, I think it's really interesting because I get the feeling we're going to have to have a Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader confrontation around two in this final episode. And I think that these scenes are really leading up to that. They're giving us hints and tastes leading up to that, especially since we see Obi-Wan much more confident with both the Force and his lightsaber in this episode. There's no hesitations in this. Yeah, and speaking of confidence with Force powers, the other main topic to discuss in relation to this episode is the Darth Vader-Reva fight, uh, where we see some really interesting interpretations of Force powers being used during a close melee combat. Yeah, there's a good segment of this fight where Reaver is using her lightsaber and Darth Vader is just kind of messing with her by using the force, you know, controlling her lightsaber. We see who I thought it was really fun that we finally get to see a live action circular inquisitor lightsaber spin. I thought that was fun. Obviously we saw that in Rebels, but it's fun seeing it in the live action. And he uses the force to basically slow down and stop her blades from spinning. He's sort of grabbing her lightsaber and throwing it around. He He gets the blade on many occasions. He gets them completely off. He pushes her around. He gets her her lightsabers completely off her and just kind of in a mocking way throws her one of her lightsabers because he's broken the large double-bladed saber into two separate sabers and kind of throws it to her like come on i'll even give you a weapon see if you can beat me type kind of motion and obviously she tries her best but can't can't best him and obi-wan did warn her he's like you can't defeat her alone but she's so sort of enraged she reckons that she can do it that she doesn't need help ultimately vader stabs her with her own lightsaber blade during that whole encounter his lightsaber stayed on his belt he never actually uses his own lightsaber which was a little bit interesting yeah i feel like maybe that's sort of something there's yes like it was an interesting aspect i think it it speaks to the fact that he was playing with her that he knew all along how that was going to pan out that he was just waiting for her to attack and you know he says that he as much says that uh, with words he calls her youngling yeah he was like, did you not think I would see that coming, youngling, or something yeah, like that? And, and of course, the Grand Inquisitor shows up again, and it's kind of implied that Darth Vader and the Grand Inquisitor basically knew how this was going to play out, and it was going according to their understanding of or their expectations all along. It's not really clear exactly how the Grand Inquisitor survived, but I don't think we need to stress about the details of that too much because it's not unheard of in the Star Wars Star Wars galaxy for people to survive quite severe wounds like that. And he does, in fact, make reference to the fact that... The, the Revenge will, does wonders yeah, for the will to live. Exactly. Yeah, because because it's speaking to her. She was obviously stabbed by Anakin as a youngling and survived. He was stabbed by her and survived. And yes. And at this point, she's been stabbed again and isn't quite dead. And <laughs> the implication of the closing scenes is that she she's not out of the story fully yet. Yeah. But I did enjoy seeing him back. I knew that... Yeah. I. I think that we were waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. He was there wasn't 
they didn't hype up the character to just kind of walk around um, and then just like just get stabbed. There was there was a dramatic moment in in coming for him, and so I do hope we get to see him in a bit more action in this final episode that he sort of take reclaimed his rightful place as the head inquisitor for Vader. I want to see him, you know, ch- help Vader chase down. Obi-Wan, especially since she failed, you know, he would be like, he's got sort oh. of a, he's got a point to prove because he tried to stop Reva from capturing Obi-Wan at, at the earliest thing. And he's just like, oh, you're going to fail, step aside and let me do it, you know, and he, he's going to be like, see, I told you so, you couldn't capture him, I'll just, you know, I'll just kill you, get you out of the way and I'll do the thing that you couldn't do. So I'm hoping to see him sort of go after we know that he doesn't ultimately die because of his appearance in rebels but i want to see him sort of a little bit more involved in this final hunt of obi-wan in the final episode and he's a cool character yeah well there's a lot more that we've got to unpack quite a few story arcs that we need to see uh, tied up one way or another the grand inquisitors his relationship with darth vader and their ultimate plans reva whether or not she's dead who's going to show up on tatooine where Obi-Wan Kenobi is actually going to get to at this point because the spaceship he's on, the hyperdrive is just broken down. We're not exactly sure what planets he might be in proximity to. There's a lot, a lot that we're going to have to tie up, uh, which will make for a very interesting podcast when we break it down next week, of course. And in terms of other, other story elements that we still want to tie up, it's interesting that Haja is still thrown into the mix. Bail Organa is still thrown into the mix and is communicating with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi that Reva has uncovered. That's all part of where we might be seeing things going. Yeah, I think that that was really an interesting, almost sinister tease at the end when Reva is struggling from her wounds, left for dead, but we know that's not the end for her. She finds the comlink sort of communicator hollow projector that Haja dropped that Obi-Wan gave to him for safekeeping. It's broken a bit from being sort of trampled under the rush to get on board the starship and flee. But she gets segments of the original message where Bail Organa is telling him, you know, I wanted to touch base. I'm going to, if I don't hear from you, I'll assume the worst, essentially. And he'll go to Tatooine to help Uncle Owen basically protect Luke and make sure that he is not. Because the two of them know, obviously, he would be greatly devastated to lose his daughter. But the two of them know that Luke and Leia are the sort of the next hope for the galaxy and if one is lost then it's even yeah, no, more it important more to keep them alive so you'd be like i've got to go like you know help protect luke because it's possible they might find out about him and stuff like that but in that message reva now knows it's kind of in spirits you know like a garbled message so you hear sort of tatooine keywords key break through though enough it's like the boy Owen, Tatooine, like she so gets I mean, enough oh, because she did dead, interact I'm... with Owen at the very oh, yeah. start. She so she'd name. be like, I wonder if it's that because she would, but I get the feeling she suspects that he's shifty or got something yeah. to hide. So if she puts the puzzle pieces together, like the audience can, that Uncle Owen is hiding a boy that has some importance to Vader or Obi-Wan that she obviously doesn't know about. So I think that that'll be really interesting. Is she going to go and use that well, against a, that's Anakin? Main, that's one of the main puzzles still in my mind. I'm not quite sure what her motivations are going to be at this point. Is because at this point, she doesn't know. Or? She doesn't know that these children are Anakin's children. Yeah. She knows that they have importance to Obi Wan. That's why she kidnapped Leia. Yeah. Because she was trying to get Obi Wan out of hiding. What she may glean from this message is that. Luke and Leia are somehow important to so, Anakin. So what's her what's her remaining motivation at this point? All I can see is that she wants she's not going to get she's not strong enough to get revenge on Vader. So she may just be shifting her angle of attack to get revenge on Obi Wan, who she also blames for Anakin's rise to power in many ways. Yeah, when they're talking through the door, she is talking. She mentions like, "Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you save us?" That she is as bitter about Obi Wan as she is Anakin. Obviously, she wants to you know, get revenge fully and kill Anakin slash Darth Vader, but she doesn't really seem to care if Obi-Wan is in her line of fire to to sort of meet that goal. I think she is bitterly angry at Obi-Wan, um, but she understands that 
I do wonder, like, I would love to know more about this character. I hope that we do get more about her because it's an interesting sort of dynamic that she, she is angry at Anakin for killing the Jedi and the younglings, but there is a youngling and Jedi that was sort of captured and executed. Like, she is part of the mm. executioner inquisitor squad that is rounding out the rest yeah, of the she, Jedi that story, survived. Her story is not a straight line. She became very twisted. Yeah. Uh, along the way, more than just, more than just blaming people for what happened to her. She, She's going to the dark side and and she's actively, you know, hunting and killing Jedi to basically work her way up and get revenge on Anakin. So she's kind of doing what Anakin did, going to the dark side to fulfill a specific goal. Um, but it's it's a really interesting character sort of development. I knew that there was more to Reva that we would find out in the progression of the episodes. I think that this was a really interesting one, especially with those flashbacks with Anakin in the temple and things like that. I think that really, it, it sort of it sort of showed that little glimpse that inside she is that scared girl that nearly died and she's had to put up some pretty severe internal walls around herself because she starts kind of freaking out when, Anna, when Obi-Wan is putting it together. And she was like, you know, she's basically yelling at him, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You can see that she's getting riled up, that he's reminding her that she was a youngling. She's obviously kind of, obviously it fuels her hatred of Anakin, but at the same time she's trying to suppress that side of herself, you know, the little girl that was training to be a Jedi. That's pretty. That's a pretty hard shift to becoming what she is now as the Grand yeah, Inquisitor. No, clearly, buried, clearly had to bury a lot that's, that went on early in her life in order to get to where she is now. Yeah, other bits and pieces that I just want to give a thumbs up to. It'll be interesting to see if we get any more of Haja, Kamal Nanjiani's character, um, you know, having yeah. scenes in the final episode. And, of course, we did mention very early on, and we talked about a lot in previous podcasts, we're very, very glad, two thumbs up specifically, that uh, Lola didn't stay under mm. Imperial influence for too long, and, in fact, um, didn't do any harm to Leia, and was fairly, fairly straightforward to get her back to normal. Yeah, a restraining bolt means that she's just being remote controlled rather than yeah. strictly reprogrammed or anything. Yeah, I was worried about that, but it was a simple fix, and I was glad that Leia is is clever enough to understand and recognize what was going on, and was able to sort of take off the restraining bolt pretty quickly. And and Lola was back to her helpful, cute self. I thought that that was fun and, and reunited. I do have to wonder how they are going to deal with. Uh, Luke and Leia in the final episode. Leia needs to get home to Alderaan. And I don't think she can cross paths with Luke. They has to be, they can't cross paths because they meet for the first time in A New Hope. They don't, they're not aware of each other's existence. He's vaguely aware of a princess and stuff like that, but not, they they wouldn't have, because they're at the age where they clearly remember meeting, you know. So, are they going to have like a little detour, like quickly let's drop off the princess on all the run and let's go, you know, take a little shuttle and go off to Tatooine to go help Owen and Luke. It'll be really interesting. And I'm crossing my fingers so hard that the final episode is a decent length because there are so many threads to tie up here. Yeah, well, there's there's some information that suggests it's well over an hour in length, but we'll find out very shortly. And I, I hope that is the case. Okay, that's about it for today's installment. I guess we are done doing talking. If you've got any thoughts on topics we discussed today, we're definitely keen to hear them. Let us know what you thought about the fifth episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Leave a comment on the YouTube page or our website page for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you taking your time to listen to us share our passion for Star Wars. Stay tuned to our website, swnz.co.nz, for Star Wars news for New Zealanders, and another podcast episode next week and every Tuesday. Don't forget you can jump on over to either our Facebook group or the SWG message boards to discuss all the latest Star Wars news with other Kiwi fans. Kia ora, kia noho, haumaru, thank you for listening and stay safe. Turo Hawaiki, may the force be with you.